This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. I've recognized something about Jesus. Jesus is a king of arrival. Jesus always shows up on time. But how frequently does God want to meet us in a certain way, lead us in a certain direction, minister to us, change us, touch us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And the sad thing is, is that we miss it. We aren't prepared. We often think that our timeline is the best option, but in reality, whose timing is better? In today's edition of The Ascending Life, Pastor Josh talks about how the Lord's timing is always perfect. The Lord will always meet us and supply us with our needs, but it may not be in the time that we expect or want. This also applies to where we are in life. We may want to stay and settle where we are, but the Lord tells us to get up and move. While it may not seem like the right time to us, the Lord's timing is always perfect. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Psalm chapter 10, as he begins his message, Anticipating Arrival. Psalm chapter 24, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Do you remember uh, times where you have anticipated someone's arrival? I remember as a kid, there were times when I just, I couldn't wait for my dad to get home. My dad was one of those guys who just did so much stuff with us. It was, there was always a, a fort to build or a fish to be caught or some journey to take or some adventure to have. And my dad would be really good. He was a very hard worker, but I just remember as a kid, like, I can't wait till dad gets home. Except that those few times, like the time when I, I laughed at my mom when she tried to discipline me. And she said, uh, you can deal with your dad when he gets home. My whole mentality changed. I was no longer excited about dad coming home. I was dreading my father coming home. I didn't want dad to come home. I didn't want to see him face to face. Well, Psalm 24 is a psalm that portrays and pictures an arrival, someone's arrival. It paints this picture of an eternal worthy king who is Lord and creator of all the earth, who is coming into a great city. And the exhortation is that this king would be welcomed by the gates lifting up their heads and the doors being open to his arrival. His identifying name or moniker, the king of glory, sets his arrival apart from every other arrival in human history. His arrival is anticipated. And along with him, he brings blessing and favor and victory and might and strength to all the gates that are open to his coming. So why go to Psalm 24 on Palm Sunday? Many of us are familiar with what's called the Hallel Psalm. It's Psalm 118. We're going to actually read it before we leave today. It's that psalm that we are familiar with on, on the passages in the gospel on Palm Sunday where Jesus rode in, on a donkey into Jerusalem and the people laid down palm branches and they declared, Hosanna or God save us. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, straight from Psalm 118 on that first Palm Sunday. By the way, 
you know another name for the best hand-scooped ice cream you can have? Palm Sunday. So why are we on Psalm 24? Psalm 24 is not mentioned in the Gospels, but it is one of the prophetic Psalms that lead us to and declare this day of arrival of Jesus. On a side note, it's interesting that Psalm 24 is one of the Psalms used by Jews in their daily liturgies. Jews have a, a daily focus in meditation. On Monday, they meditate on Psalm 48. On Tuesday, Psalm 82. On Wednesday, Psalm 94. On Thursday, Psalm 81. On Friday, Psalm 93. The Sabbath Psalm is Psalm 92. And then on Sunday, the meditation is on Psalm 24 the arrival of the king on the first day of the week. Now, it's interesting, a helpful note in setting some context for Psalm 24 is that Psalms 22 through 24 comprise a trilogy that prophetically speaks about the coming Messiah in the context of being a shepherd. How many of you are familiar with the 23rd Psalm, the one right before, right? We, that's popular even in secular culture because of its beauty and people use it at funerals and it talks about the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 22 reveals Jesus as the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. It's that Psalm written in first person that Jesus proclaimed from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 22, where Jesus is laying down his life as the good shepherd. Psalm 23 reveals Jesus as the great shepherd who tends his flock and leads us beside still waters into green pastures. He restores our soul. He disciplines and corrects us and leads us and comforts us with his rod and his staff. And he gives us victory over our enemies. And then Psalm 24 reveals Jesus prophetically as the chief shepherd or the coming king of glory who rules and reigns Overall, interestingly enough, in the New Testament, the New Testament gives Jesus these same titles. In John chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. In Hebrews chapter 13, which we'll get to in a little while, Jesus is referred to as the great shepherd who makes us complete in every good work and leads us in the paths of life. And finally, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter refers to Jesus as the chief shepherd who will one day appear to us, bringing with him crowns of glory and reward. Actually aligns with Psalm 24 uh, very well there. And so as we look at the shepherd Jesus and his arrival as king in Israel, we remember that Palm Sunday represents to us a day of arrival. But not just anyone's arrival. It's the day we remember and celebrate when Jesus, on his way, literally on the path to the cross, made his triumphal entry as rightful king and promised Messiah of Israel. This was a day that Daniel, you can jot it down, read it later. We're not going to dig into it in depth today. But Daniel chapter 9, Daniel actually prophesies this day that Jesus would arrive to the day. 476 years earlier, Daniel prophesies exactly how many days would take place between the edict to rebuild there in Jerusalem that went forth and the day that Jesus would ride into the city. All that to be said, 
the people who knew their Bibles, so to speak, should have at the very least known it's going to be sometime soon, if not having the wisdom to have marked that very day as a day they should be anticipating the arrival of their king. Those who knew the prophets should have known better, but when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that day, there were some fickle crowds that had seen Jesus do miracles and had heard his teaching and that they were fascinated by Jesus. So Jesus is kind of an interesting character. Maybe perhaps he might be someone or do something. And so they laid down palm branches and there's a little ruckus and there's some praise going on and people are turning their heads and, and watching this happen. But the reality is, is as quickly as the fanfare started, it died down Jesus didn't come in with any swords or any armies or any fire from heaven. The Romans were still in charge. Things kind of just, well, back to life. There were no open gates, no open hearts. Only people who saw Jesus and realized Jesus didn't meet their expectations. About 150 years before this event when Jesus came into Jerusalem, Jewish zealot and rebel leader by the name of Judas Maccabees led a successful revolt against the Seleucid Empire and was welcomed back into Jerusalem with palm branches laid out before him. And when the leaders of Israel saw Jesus, they didn't see a revolutionary. Of course, we know that Jesus was the greatest revolutionary that ever lived. He changed everything. But they didn't see their military might, their military leader in that carpenter from Nazareth. If they'd only known the true glory that was in their midst, the true intention of their Messiah. You know, this is why Jesus, later, after riding in and after things settled down, was up with his disciples and went up to the hill that overlooked the city. And he, the Bible says Jesus wept. And this is one of two times that Jesus cried. Well, that's recorded. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have longed to gather you under my care, gather you like a mother hen gathers her chicks and you would not. No wonder this day caused Jesus to weep. He said, if you had known, Luke chapter 19, even you, especially this, your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I have, in my uh, Christian life, as you have, I've recognized something about Jesus. Jesus is a king of arrival. Jesus always shows up on time. But how frequently does God want to meet us in a certain way, lead us in a certain direction, minister to us, change us, touch us by the power of his Holy Spirit? And the sad thing is, is that we miss it. We aren't prepared. Well, as we look at this psalm, we find three descriptions of this king who enters in. And it, again, it's a prophetic picture of Jesus coming in to his people in multiple ways. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to show you three descriptions of Jesus as found in Psalm 24. 
We're going to start with number one, verses one and two. Psalm 24 portrays the coming King Jesus as the eternal King. Jesus is the eternal King. Look at verse one again. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. So here the king that David is portraying in Psalm 24 isn't like an ordinary human king. This is the king who both created and rules over heaven and earth and everything in it, and specifically those who dwell in the earth. The king's name, according to here, to David later in the psalm, is the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, or the name of God, Jehovah. And David speaks of this king's power and authority to create, to rule. The king of glory has the title of ownership over all created things, not only nature, but mankind. And when I think about this description of this king of glory, the one who created the earth, the one who established it upon his waters, the one who is over all humanity, I can't help but think of the description of Jesus from the New Testament. In Colossians chapter one, Paul writes this about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things consist. It almost sounds like a commentary on the first verse of Psalm 24. Jesus is this king of glory. He is the eternal creator in him and through him and for him. Everything that exists, exists. Speaking of Jesus in Hebrews, we've studied this scripture. In chapter one, verse 10, Paul writes this. And you, O Lord, you might see those capital on the verse. The Lord is capitalized. You, Jehovah, God in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. And of course, in the context of Hebrews 1, the author is writing about Jesus, saying that verse is about Jesus, that he is the Lord who established the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. John writes this of Jesus in John chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, that all things were made through him that are in heaven and on earth, visible and powers, all things were created through him and for him, and in him was life, and that life was the light of men. How fascinating is it that the king of glory created all things. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit created everything that there is, visible and invisible. And yet the passage here in Psalm focuses on the earth its fullness, and all is of its inhabitants. And that just blows my mind because what it tells me is that out of all the unfathomable wonders that God has created, the heavens, the stars, the invisible realms, nothing consumes or concerns him more than the affairs of human beings on this small blue dot in the universe that we call earth. For some reason, God has centered his attention right on the salvation of mankind. I, I kind of get now why David looked up at the stars and he said, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you should visit him? David was blown away that of all the wonders God has created, he focuses in on the people that live on this little planet called earth. 
you know, there's so much fascination today with aliens. <laughs> These ancient hieroglyphics and Egyptian things, and everyone's like, look at there's pictures of aliens. No, they were just as paranoid as we are. I mean, they're just, we're consumed with all these things. And it's like, are there aliens? I don't know. Probably just all demons. But if there are aliens, you know what? It doesn't really matter because God's center of attention is sitting right here in this room. And that ought to humble us to no, to no degree, to no extent that God has created everything for his glory and for our enjoyment and to declare to us who he is so that we might know him. Everything that's created, everything that we explore in science and when we look up or when we look down or when we explore things and learn things, they are all to expand our minds into realms of saying God is, is even more awesome than I could have ever imagined, that he would create all of these things. But he focuses here on, on this king of glory who is the Lord of creation. Number two, the psalm declares that Jesus is not only that eternal king, God himself, the creator. But Jesus is the worthy king. Verse three continues, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Here, David asks two vital questions about approaching this king of glory. First, who can ascend? The word means to move upwards or move towards the hill of the Lord. And second, who can stand in his holy place? And here he speaks about the tabernacle, which we have been studying in Hebrews, that holy place where the presence of God would be manifested. And David is asking him this question. Many people believe that Psalm 24 was written after David or when David was trying to return the Ark of the Covenant after the Philistines had captured it, David was trying to return it after getting it back to the tabernacle, to Jerusalem. And so he creates all these man-made things. He gets this brand new cart. He gets these guys. He gets this procession. And they start taking the, the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And the cart that they were putting the Ark on hits a rock and it starts to fall over. And this guy by the name of Uzzah, don't ever name your kid that if you're looking for Bible names. Uzzah, he, he reaches out and he's going to save God here. And he reaches out and he touches the ark to keep it from falling. And immediately God strikes him dead. And that's not because God's mean. That's because God's holy and Uzzah was not holy. <laughs> that's that drastic perfection, that holiness that we've been talking about through Hebrews. So David, perplexed, goes to the Lord, and many people believe he wrote this psalm. Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? And then he answers the question, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. Notice the four categories that he mentions. Number one is outward purity, clean hands, someone who lives righteously. Number two is inward purity, it's not just that they, they do good moral things outwardly, but their heart is right. Their heart is clean. Their motives are pure. And then there's the third one is undivided loyalty, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. They don't have any idolatrous or competing affections. 
God is their God and, and, and there are no competing affections or gods in their life. And the fourth category is complete honesty, who has not sworn deceitfully, who's been honest both inwardly and outwardly. The standards are clear, yet at the end of the day, is there anyone in here who could raise their hand and says, oh, wow, that, that perfectly describes me. I'm outwardly pure, I'm inwardly pure, I'm completely undivided, loyal to God, and I have, I have no deceit within my heart. That's what we all want. That's our pursuit. But it's not where any of us are at. And I think that this was written this way by the Holy Spirit purposefully. Notice, I love Warren Wiersbe's observation here. Here's what he said. He said, David did not have clean hands for he murdered nor did he have a pure heart, for he lusted and committed adultery. He lifted up his soul to vanity and pride when he numbered the people. Solomon could not qualify, for he was an idolater. Even the great king Hezekiah fell because of pride. No, the only king who can qualify is who? Jesus Christ. He is the worthy king. Jesus is the one who fulfilled every righteous requirement, who can approach that very presence of God, which we have been talking about in Hebrews, in the heavenly places, and can stand in his holy place with a clean hands and a pure heart and never lifted his soul up to an idol, never sworn deceitfully, and he represents us before the Father. Jesus is the eternal king who descended from heaven to redeem his creation, but Jesus is also the worthy king who ascended back to heaven in the presence of God. And all who call upon his name by faith and trust in this righteous king will receive the benefits of verse five. They shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Our righteousness comes from Christ. So Christ is the eternal king. He is the worthy king. Number three, very importantly, Jesus is described as the coming king. Verse seven, lift up your heads, O you gates. And be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Selah. Say, Josh, did some scribe uh, forget that they wrote one line and so they wrote it twice? Right? It repeats itself. It's a question and an answer that the author gives twice. Notice the answer. He says, lift up your heads. That is a language that indicates a watchfulness or an expectancy. And there's a dual command here from the psalmist. Lift up, you heads, O you gates. Lift up your doors, you everlasting doors. It's mentioned twice. And I don't think that's an accident. I think that prophetically, it's mentioned twice because there are two arrivals of the Messiah, Jesus, that are to be expected. The first one happened 2,000 years ago on the 10th day of Nisan, what we call Palm Sunday, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. That was the first arrival of the Messiah where the gates needed to be lifted up and the, the hearts and the minds of the, and the doors of people's hearts needed to be open to the Lord. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life. Pastor Josh Blevins had a great message to share today, and we trust that what you've heard has been an encouragement to you. 
If what you heard today has left you with some questions, we'd like to ask you to reach out. You can get in touch with us by calling us at 816-279-2090. If you need to hear that number again, it's 816-279-2090. You can also email us at mail at graceontheweb.org. Some of what you heard might be completely new to you. If that's the case and you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, feel free to go to theascendinglife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to understand more about who Jesus is and how much He loves you. Here at Grace Calvary, our mission is to awaken people to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Head over to theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast too. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. That's all the time we have for today, but we can't wait to get back into another enlightening teaching from Pastor Josh. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so. There's so much more to learn and appreciate about God, so be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing in.